Hey guys, welcome to You Chat Too Much podcast. This is a podcast where two international teachers, Joe and Madge, discuss various topics with the help of interesting and amazing guests each week. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to You Chat Too Much. This is episode eight, and today is all about cultural expectations. It's going to be a good one today. Madge, how's your week been? Yeah, it's been all right, mate. Um, just just been uh, busy with school. You know, this is a crunch time, and all teachers know this is like the hardest time of school when there's about two weeks, two, three weeks left when all report cards are due and all the assessments have to be done and put up and... Yeah, so I've been feeling the pinch and usually I don't try to take work home, but this week I've had to work from home a bit. Um, and then just general, the the COVID and the Omicron variants get a little bit worrying. I don't think I can handle another lockdown. So I'm, uh, I'm hoping definitely um, put a balloon over my head and just hope I don't get it or anything. Just just hope the country, luckily we're our we haven't opened the border, so it gives a bit of a bit more leeway. But it just—I uh, think it could be a couple of things that it could be just a little bit of a scare. No one really knows any information about it. Uh, but with how countries are reacting, I hope we've learned a lot from it, uh, and hopefully we don't get back into that situation. How's your week been? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say similar. Busy, busy, but uh, nice to be busy again. Looking forward to the Christmas break. Um, yeah, COVID is definitely on the minds of a lot of people. Uh, I've got a few friends that uh, have now gone back to work and now are potentially being put on different different restrictions of travel. And the the most recent one in the UK was like Christmas parties. You know, they they were all all uh, planned for, and now they're back to like small group parties and team parties, which you know is sad coming up, leading up to Christmas, but. Hopefully it will only be a precaution. Um, hopefully it's a proactive rather than reactive when it gets bad. So, yeah. So today I am introducing another one, another Sheffield, another Yorkshireman, another uh, guy from my inner circle. Actually, Joe, you don't realise my last two and as today uh, are from my inner circle friendships. So uh, my friend Azizul, but we'll call him Az or Aze. Uh, I've known Azzy since, I don't, God knows, like nine, eight, nine, ten years old, I think I've known him. He's lived on the same road as me. We've grown up. Uh, he's actually re- just recently moved away, but we were two doors down. Uh, and he's a little bit older than me, as you can tell, with grey hair. But, um, yeah, we've grown up since, since like, I, I remember him being in secondary school and me being, like, just starting, pr- uh, just the end of primary. And that's how... Uh, our friendship's grown from there. We've just basically gone through all the different stages of life together. So uh, welcome, Az. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself, tell people what you do? Uh, don't bore them too much, but yeah. Thanks, Madge. Um, so yes, my name's, uh, uh, my full name is Azizul Haq, uh, but people know me as Az or Azza. Um, as Madge says, we've um, grown up together, uh, lived on the same street. Um, I work um, as a property manager now. I've had a bit of a 
roller coaster of a ride in terms of career over the last 12 months uh, with some ups and downs. But uh, I uh, actually work as a property manager now um, with a professional background as a surveyor, uh, RICS qualified. Um, but um, yeah, currently working as a property manager, which is which is along the lines of um, facilities management. All right, I told you not to bore people, but you already did it. <laughs> So one of the reasons why um, we got Az on today is uh, Az's background is uh, British and Bengali cultures which merge together and obviously mine is uh, British and Pakistani and we live in the same area so we kind of understand how the the cultures work and how they blend in. Um, but one of the things that we have to deal with and I mentioned this in a previous part is that um, is like cross-culture and how we have to manage the different cultures uh, and I think when Al shares his journey with um, how uh, his culture is actually the, the what's the word? Um, how it, the dominant culture has basically changed for us, or, or I would say, I would say from an outsider, it's changed or it's become more uh, prominent. So my question to you, as to start off with, if I ask you the question, what does managing cultural expectations mean to you? How would you answer that? I think uh, there's no one um, straightforward answer uh, that fits uh, every scenario, if you will. Uh, but for me personally, I think uh, managing cultural expectations is uh, <clears throat> more of a um, a journey, a personalized, a personalized one. It's it's almost like a narrative that's drilled into you uh, at various stages of life, especially from from the younger age. Um, even up until now, uh, but from a different angle. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it is a bit of a narrative. It's it's a narrative that's not written by you, uh, but it's a narrative that I think is written for you uh, through external influences. Um, that could be religious angle, um, your ethnic origin, um, and even you know going down to grassroots levels of the village that you've come from uh, or uh, within the country. Uh, so yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think um, it's uh, very very personal and uh, and a narrative. And I think the the managing cultural expectations bit for me is um, knowing how to navigate through that in the best way possible, uh, and not trying to offend uh, anyone. Sometimes you might offend, sometimes you might not. But yeah, for me, that's what it is. Madge, you kind of started off by saying you kind of had um, similar senses of a of a upbringing and a, a background as well. Can you answer that as well? What do you think managing cultural expectations is? Um, I think the best way to explain it is um, I, I felt the different cultures that I one I had at home, and one when I left the house were two different cultures. Um, so, like as he says that when you're younger, you're influenced by what's around you. So like I said before, like up to primary school age, it's a, a very, my, all my friends were Asian, mainly Pakistani, Bengali. Um, we had other ethnicities out there, but they were probably the main ones. So this, the similarities in the culture um, is quite, they're quite very close, right? So after only after that, when, when I realized that there was this other culture, what we call the British culture, and that's when you explored it. And that basically my environment changed that because I went to a school that was mainly white then. So um, you start embracing the British culture and that's when it became a clash because the ideas 
or the ideals are different. Um, and a lot of the times, I would say like the British culture is more open-minded. They encourage you to be more outspoken. Um, in some cases, it can be seen as quite selfish. I, I think the British culture is more about yourself, where I think the Pakistani or Bengali Asian culture is more about other people. So it's trying to find that blend, and it's quite interesting to hear what what I want to hear more about as he's when he's talking about the narrative, and how that's changed over time. Um, but I would say um, it was quite difficult to manage when I first, I would say, in my teenage years, going up to like fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, was when I started wanting freedom, um, and I only really got it when I left to go to uni. And the main reason why I left was, I would say, because of that. There was one way of dealing with it. As can can you kind of remember the first time, and it, obviously it might have happened before then, but you know your earliest memory of when you were thinking, "Oh, like this is a certain expectation on me from my mum, from my parents, from uncles or brothers and sisters." And can you remember that first time? Yeah, um, it's it's really hard to pin an exact age, uh, if you will, because uh, it's it's something that's always there. It's something that is um, ever present without anyone mm -hmm. having to mention it. So you're almost brought up to expect um, the expected. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's there. But um, I think one of the very first memories um, that I have uh, when I kind of clicked that um, the cultural expectation is being set upon uh, was um, when I was young. I can't remember how old I was. I must have been, I don't know, I must have been eight, nine maybe. And um, my mum sat us down and um, explained to us uh, um, uh, about our family unit that, you know, it was uh, my mum. I should probably give you a little bit of information and background on my mum and um, us as a family. We, yeah, we moved into, we we migrated to um, England, um, I think in 1988. Um, I was probably four or five. Uh, my father passed away uh, about a month after we migrated to England. So my mum effectively became a single mother in a foreign country with very little spoken English and um, six, no, five, five siblings, the eldest of which was about 12 and the rest kind of fell um, in various places right the way down to the youngest being two or three. Uh, I was um, the second youngest and I think I was about six. So yeah, so the earliest uh, memory in terms of um, uh, uh, that cultural expectation being set is when my mum sat down and, and explained what we, who we were as a family unit and, and what she expected us to do um, in terms of interaction with, uh, with what is now, um, what, what she then called foreigners um, in, in a foreign yeah. land. Um, and how we needed to conduct ourselves, how we needed to behave uh, ourselves. And I think that was the very first memory that I had of uh, my mum setting an expectation. Uh, and it was one about, as Madge says, about close family knit, um, bonding with uh, your siblings. Uh, and and um, uh, really the, the drive was to ensure that you actually didn't get into trouble when you went out to the uh, to the wider world, whether that be... Um, in school with um, uh, people with different colour races, etc. Uh, yeah. And I think that's what I can remember. Um, I suppose the uh, um, the push from my mum uh, in terms of managing cultural expectations really hit hard with me. 
through my formative years where um, you go through life. And I think um, most of the people that I've grown up with um, will have gone through the same thing, uh, uh, which is, um, you know, having come from a religiously conservative and ethnically conservative background, um, it was um, the, the same message that was being hammered home. Um, you know, don't talk to girls, don't go out with girls, um, yeah. don't go drinking. You know, there's a whole list of um, rights and wrongs that was perceived uh, and set upon uh, by my mum, which was then drilled down to us, uh, probably ex- set upon um, from a religious perspective. Uh, and that's the narrative that was being fed. I think that's interesting as well. Because Madge, and you've spoken about this before and you touched on it today, but in previous episodes as well, is where where you guys both lived, what you were talking about was like you kind of lived in that bubble. So, so when you kind of think about managing those expectations, if, say, for example, when you left your house, that expectation was cut off because obviously it was only your mum saying it, then sometimes that might get lost. But if you step out of your house and then you've got friends and uncles and family members or people all of the similar race or same culture, and then if you are going to mosque or you're going to a local school and again you're you're being fed that same narrative like you're talking about as it is it is so hard to move away from that and I suppose you're just con- you are constantly reminded of it and I suppose in a sense it's whether that's a positive or negative you are that is kind of just constantly drilled in so we always as kids went to school thinking our parents told us this it might may or may not be true but obviously if then at school and everywhere else they're reinforcing that that expectation just must be in a sense drilled into you that's one of the things uh i just add into that joe is that you know i think as he this is probably when i as he was older than me, so he was. He went to work. Obviously, I remember uh, him working in a in a retail shop, and then only when I started working, I probably kind of understood his his scenario and situation. But that's probably like the first time when people don't understand your your, your culture because people often want to go out for drinks or after after work nine ten o'clock they want to go out for a night out or they want to do things like that, and we can't because at the end of the day where drill like as he says not to speak to girls not 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 necessarily not speak to girls but anything it's always the worst case scenario with parents and the culture so it's like you speak to a girl oh you must fancy you must love her you might you might want to do all of these things that's just like that's like that's just how they thought um and obviously i think it's from where they come from and then coming into the west and west being more liberal they just that's what is what they see and what they maybe portray and stuff like that um so even that was a problem because if you didn't come home straight from work, it's like the alternative is that you're doing the worst thing ever, according to them. So like we would we would have to often like um, not go to these events, even if it was just like a nice, easy social social thing. But also the other thing is, um, is, is a positive and a negative is that our culture, both mine and ours, is a very close-knit community and everyone knows everyone, right? Mm-hmm. So... Even if you were out to go out, even when I said you left the house and it was a different culture, you took one step wrong. You made one step wrong or you went the wrong way or you did something and you someone saw you. You just instantly knew that that was going to get reported back home. So you were always watching out, you know, over your back and over your shoulder to kind of, you couldn't, you couldn't be who you wanted to be, you know. Uh, 
What do you reckon, us? Yeah, I was going to say the same thing actually, um, um, which is um, uh, the differences in cultural expectation uh, really hits you hard uh, when you start mixing um, with other people, especially um, with um, going out to social events, uh, not a swift drink after work, or, or a, um, a, a a party. Uh, Christmas party, for example, um, and I just remember uh, when I was um, um, in in the early days of my career, there is an extra effort to to go out, make friends, make those connections, yeah. and try and do all you can to you know start climbing that uh, that corporate ladder, if you will. So um, I think I quickly realized that if I hadn't gone out and done these, um, uh, you know, participated in these social events, that I could potentially be left behind. Um, so I just thought, I just thought then when Maj was going through his scenario that, uh, of um, some of the things that I did to try and manage expectations, and I think it's probably important to um, point out at this point that um, for someone like myself and, and you know, throwing Maj into this equation as well, the management of cultural expectation is done on both sides. Um, so yes, you have your traditional, you know, roots uh, expectations but there's also the um i don't know how to describe this but the let's say the white expectation of you participating in in things so i think it's 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 often i think when you know when we talk about managing cultural expectation it's often about let's say the brown culture having to adopt to the white culture but it's, the reverse is also true uh, as, a, as a brown person, you also have to manage expectations from the white perspective as well. Um, but coming back to the social events, I think when I remember um, having to manage both sides, there was a hell of a lot of lying, um, a hell of a lot of lying to my mom, to my elder brothers. Yeah. And in the Asian culture, your elder brothers are pretty much like your parents as well. So yeah. there's no talking back. They, you know, what they say is, uh, is, um, is what happens. Um, so you almost have that hierarchical structure, um, you know, parents, um, elder brothers and sisters, and then you're right at the bottom. Um, and yeah, there was a hell of a lot of lying, both to the parents and, and elder siblings to try and get out to the social event. And then when you had to come back by a certain time, there was a lot of lying about why, why you had to come back. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was a lot of lying. So managing cultural expectations is navigation, but yeah, with a lot of lying. I was, I was constantly kept behind because the storeroom needed cleaning. That was my excuse. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I would say, just to add to that, I wouldn't say I lied that much, but I'd, I'd, I'd not put a lot of information in my answers, though. There was quite vague answers. And, and <laughs> I think the lucky thing for me and difference with us is that he he's one of the younger ones. I'm the oldest one. So I was like kind of the first one my parents had to deal with. Um, so I could get away with a lot more as well because they didn't really know what was going on. Although my dad's a taxi driver, he he knows what's going on in terms of like the drinking culture and that. But my mom didn't really have a clue about what's going on outside the house really. But one thing I just kind of wanted to point on, as he said earlier, was that his mom sat him down or sat his family down and kind of put these expectations. Um, and what he said there was very similar to what what it's like for black people. This is where the similarities come in race because the reason why we get told that is because we know that if we misbehave in this society or in, in the outside world, you're already perceived as a, as a negative anyway, because of the skin color that you have. So it's like trying to be the best you can be trying to be the best citizen you can be. So then other people don't use that as an excuse 
Um, and I think that's where it originally comes from. Um, but they are very scared as well because they come from a very conservative background and being liberal is so alien to them. Um, mm-hmm. But I think what's happened is a knock-on effect is that we're growing up in that British culture. It's obviously, it's going to have it's going to have that uh, effect on us at some point, um, which is where we're going to we'll move on to next. But Gazi, what do you want to say? I, I just was interested on Joe's um, perception here. I mean, we've uh, Maj and I have given our perception in terms of you know what we do to manage uh, cultural expectations. But um, being uh, a, a person um, that knows Maj, I assume. Um, you know, you've got, you've had some involvement either with Maj or with some other people mm-hmm. where you've, you've had to, I mean, have you had to, have you had to manage expectation uh, in, in, you know, like this, whether that's dealing with brown friends or white friends or, you know, I'm his first brown your... friend. I'm his first brown friend. <laughs> first time he's dealing with <laughs> I mean, your your point that you brought up was really interesting, I thought, of how white people um, or people not of colour um, manage those expectations. And I think the point you make about uh, the social, the parties and things like that, 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 that is something which I think is really apparent. And there was, you know, we've seen lots of, um, lots of uh, discussion regarding race as a whole. But when it comes to like in a job situation and race and linked to religion as well, or expectations of like whether you are what you are doing, um, what you're wearing, all of these different things that you're trying to manage, the perception of like or what you're expected to look like or what you're expected to do. And I think that drinking culture, I mean, we spoke about alcohol on one of our previous podcasts, like that drinking culture is really interesting. And Madge, you brought up something about how you sometimes feel that you don't sometimes get invites when you are going out drinking, purely because it's like, as a white person or somebody who's not religious, they might perceive Madge as like, well, he's not going to drink, so why would he want to come? Is that kind of like what you are uh, moving towards as in terms of like somebody not of color having that expectation or managing that in a sense? Yeah, managing that really. Yeah. Yeah. I, su- I suppose, like, if you think, Joe, as well, like now in in Malaysia, mm-hmm. how do we, ma- we like us as expats? You think about it when we have social events in our school. It's a heavily expat populated school, but mm-hmm. in terms of in terms of the staff that work there, but we equally have quite a few local staff there. But mm-hmm. when we have these social events, you also have you ever noticed that we don't ever have local people come there? Yeah, so I, th- I think. I think that's so something that, that's that we've, exactly we've discussed about. That's exactly the same where, like, obviously the cultures are different. We talk about different things. Our sense of humor is different. There might be alcohol mm-hmm. there. I don't necessarily think we think about the cultural expectation from their side as well, especially in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. It's quite strict as well, isn't it? Some people mm-hmm. are very strict in their religious views and stuff. But if you look at it, how it is in Malaysia, that's pretty much how it was like for us as well, um, mm-hmm. living living at home. But... My question to you, Joe, is do you, uh, from an Irish background, have you had any, have you had to manage your culture expectations there? Um, how strong is it? Like, especially, I don't know if you've been back to Ireland, uh, no. when you visit family over there or when your families come over, obviously there's a different culture. Yeah. Um, how do you manage not to, not two? For me, not the, to the same degree in the sense of, um, because 
because I was born in the UK, um, despite the fact I'm, I'm very proud to have an Irish passport, I think I'm quite removed from that Irish culture. My my dad would, I would probably say my dad had quite heavy uh, cultural expectations on him to make sure that he was back at certain times, that he upheld those kind of, what I would say quite stereotypical Irish stereotypes of being, again, very family oriented, staying around the same area. Um, up until the last point, um, you know, the last time we actually went there were me and my dad, you know, people are saying to him, Tom, when are you moving home? And and it was just be like this question of going, Well, what do you mean this isn't home? I've I've lived in I've lived in the UK for thirty plus years. You know, I've got a family, got a house, got my whole life there, you know. So there's always that expectation that you're either gonna come back or you're gonna be this type of person. I suppose removing yourself is is the easiest way. The one one thing I wanted to point on about that managing expectations as well and cultural expectations, I suppose the only closest thing I can say what I've been aware of in terms of managing it is Madge, what we do as a department is when we do department events, we will often ask some of our local staff, like, where should we go? I want you to kind of, I want you to organize somewhere that we can all go and enjoy some more local food or just a place that you want to go to. And I always feel that in all the times that we've gone out, we've then made sure that, I mean, we always have had all of the staff there. Yeah. I suppose that's but the best example. No, yeah, I, I think, mean, I, I think we do that really well as a department. And plus that yeah. also gives us, I love it because I, I, it gives us a different, I know I'm going to get a new experience from them, right? But it yeah. also makes sure that they are, they are the priority in that because they are then comfortable choosing a place that's maybe close to home uh, yeah. maybe a timing or a day that suits them and also the yeah. biggest thing is the is the price point and it's the price range of what they can afford because if we were to go to somewhere where we want to go we mm-hmm. don't really necessarily think about money in the same way that they do especially when the difference in the salary as well but if you give them the opportunity to choose something then they obviously have autonomy over that so and we, yeah. we are, we're quite happy because we get a better local experience from that and I think that what you guys were talking about in terms of the time, the time we often set, they often set the time into where we're going and what we're doing. So if there is that expectation that they need to go home to check in rather than, oh, let's just go straight from school and let's stay out all evening. You know, there's there's just that flexibility. I, but, I just uh, want to just want to make a point on what something I was just uh, what Azzy said about how a lot of the times if it fell on us as a community or as a race or wherever culture for us to fit in to the British culture that sometimes that sometimes that I don't know what the word is a little bit arrogant sometimes it's the same because mm-hmm. I know uh, even as a British person I see it or even maybe I've done it in the past like I was talking about before last episode about traveling how traveling, when we yeah. go when we go to a different country we expect the, uh, the standards to be the same and then we complain against it but it's the same as well in, in even in our culture like this is why we have these areas pocket of areas where it's heavily asian dominated or hev- heavily black dominated because they kind of get pushed out of all the other communities and the only end community that end up feeling comfortable is in these communities but the problem is is i think anyway i don't know if this is completely right and this is not going to be true for everyone i'm not going to make a blanket statement but sometimes the problem is is that they expect cultures like ours people like us 
to blend into the British culture, which I think is a fair point, 100% fair point, because you are that's the host country, that's where you live in, um, and you should you should um, embrace it. I would say our community probably mm-hmm. doesn't do a good job of it, um, especially the older generation. I think our generation, me and us, we definitely do a lot better for it. But the other hand, when like now the example we gave about our department and we getting them to choose things mm-hmm. when is it ever done the other way around i mean i i know what's there's been small amounts of people that have done it but i mean as a as a as an outside community maybe that's something that we can do a little bit better at, mm-hmm. at trying to mingle in and trying to bring the cultures together and learn from each other so instead of necessarily a night out drinking or, or a night out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um doing whatever it could be done through a uh, through a restaurant going for a meal and then everyone after they can decide if they want to go out for drinks or they go home from there so then at least there's some sort of involvement go on us i think uh, what you said about um uh blending in uh, and, and and mixing in uh cultures i think i think we're all um you know astute here grown up and, and fully aware of um the um the factors that might affect that but that is easier said than done uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of factors that ride on uh, being able to uh, blend in. Uh, I mean, just very quickly, super super quickly. I mean, I'm probably going to uh, flatline what is a massive uh, issue here, but uh, how that blending works um, will depend depend on a lot of things. You can't just you won't just be able to expect someone to uplift themselves, go into someone else completely new, uh, and be able to mix in um, the host country wouldn't be wouldn't receive it so well um because of the cultural differences and the and the person that's being up, uprooted and then expected to settle in wouldn't because that, it's a vast difference mm-hmm. uh in in uh, in the the very way of life i suppose isn't it uh i think there certainly needs to be an effort to for that integration to happen but that's probably something that's likely to happen over uh, uh, you know generations i think what mad said about me and as uh, sorry what sorry what i think what Mad said about me and him doing a little bit better is probably uh, true up to a certain point um but from my own personal experience i'm actually also seeing the opposite end of that scale so some of the younger generations that are now coming through i'm actually seeing them becoming more uh, secluded in their ways um and and you know less wanting to integrate um mm. I think there is a question mark there, perhaps another topic for another day of why that is. Um, uh, but there's certainly that happening. So what, as why do you think the, the younger generation now um, have gone the other way in terms of integrating into society and with the cultural expectations? So I think this is just uh, um, what I've seen from my own <laughs> personal experience. Um, and um, I, I think... Um, Maybe it's related to um, the uh, um, high-profile media um, coverage of, of um, you know, historic events like the 9-11, etc. Uh, mm-hmm. That is probably pushing um, people to, um, you know, go into and look into religion more. Uh, but, um, I mean, I, I've personally seen that people are, the younger generation are actually more religious than uh, I found myself to be when I was at their age. <clears throat> and um, as well as the uh, uh, the historic, um, uh, you know, media or historic um, key events, if you will, uh, from, from a Muslim perspective, I think there is also a, a notion of um, 
people living within their own bubble and, and perhaps mm. that contributing towards uh, an element of, uh, you know, keeping a closed mind uh, and not being able to open themselves up to explore or experience different things which might um, which might um, assist with the integration. <clears throat> um, and there's probably a couple of reasons why that happens. One is probably because um, people might be afraid of, of finding out something that they they, they can't unfind, if that makes uh, sense. Yeah. Uh, and the other one is um, um, it, it may be because um, I've lost my train of thought, but yeah, that's one of the key things really. It's, uh, it's you know, what could I potentially find out uh, if I do keep an open mind? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what's probably in my experience uh, or from what I've seen, I think that's what's probably contributing towards people not being able to go out there and integrate. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I'll slightly disagree with you in terms of the religious point because um, it's a bit different as when we live in our area because it is that bubble. But I think the thing is, it's that it's it's what you said in the media and what how society portrays black brown people. I think the divides got bigger. Like we talked about this before, it's like very, it's a silent divide. It's not very like loud anymore. It's 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 for example people realize there's a barriers to, to get out, uh, to do well in the world. So people just tend to stick together to what they know and they kind of stick together for that reason. But I also think that in our, in our area anyway, like massive crime now and then gangs and stuff like that, where it's the identity feeling and sense of belonging and don't feel like that there's a way out. So I think that kind of gets pushed anyway because of how society portrays everyone else in their own in their own bubbles, but then they tend to stay there because that's what they feel comfortable with. Anyways, so moving on, um, I wanted to ask, so basically I'll, I'll give my side to this and then, um, and then I'll, I'll bring you into it where I think one of, one of the expectations that you have culturally uh, is quite, quite strong anyway in our cultural expectation is, is the arranged marriage. Uh, and, I, and I'll explain to you how I got got out of it. it was my mum, not my dad was not so fussed, but I think there was always that cultural expectation for me to have an arranged marriage. Um, and I knew from day one, I'm never going to have one. I just knew that I was completely different. And the, the idea and concept uh, behind it was just a little bit di too different for me, right? And especially when I've been embracing the British culture and the open-mindedness and the liberalism, that it was it was too different for me anyway. So one of the things I remember mum saying when I was growing up, like when you're 18, you're going to get married, we're going to do a raised marriage, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh man, no chance. So at 18, I moved to Leeds. That was one way how I managed that cultural expectation. So I had, I had a three-year break and then I came back and then my mum's at me again. Uh, you need to get married, you need to get married. And I was like, nah, too late, I'm going traveling. And then um, I came back and then after that, um, I, I wasn't set on leaving, but uh luckily like obviously my mum i'm getting to that age like 20 23 24 25 is considered quite old to get married in 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 that culture anyway um and then i left for malaysia and that was it i was free after that um i think there was always that expectation i think there there's always been a worry from my parents that one that that, that i moved away and they just think i'm up to no good that's what they always think even to, even now that i'm married and stuff they still think I'm up to no good because that's what that's how they just associate when someone is different or someone wants to do a different way. They just think that they've just moved away uh, for that. But obviously, I got married to Pearl, 
in in whatever way and i think that was my way of managing the the cultural expectations but as your situation is slightly different and i remember like like you like i said you you were a few years older than me and i remember like it, i didn't understand it at the time but you were kind of going through that uh, culture clash when you were at work and when you went to university and stuff like that so your situation then changed um and i i know personally why but i want you to share it with everyone else is that how did that whole arranged marriage concept come to you and when did you decide that that was the route for you yeah so um i think i've um i've actually surprised myself <clears throat> um when i look back and, and um think you know i've actually gone through an arranged marriage i think in a very similar way to match uh, having been through that um uh, experience of the british culture the openness and and all the different experiences that i've had i i i did for a, a good amount of time think i wasn't going to get into an arranged marriage but i think um shortly before i got married uh, there were some key family events um in our in our family i suppose you know key key issues that occurred which kind of got me religious and and this is just before i um I, I was going out to get married and i think at that key moment i don't know if my mum kind of collared onto this and, and thought you know here's my opportunity um she yeah she uh explained um uh, i mean she, she she's always um told me that you know uh, arranged marriage was good so as a, as a as an asian person growing up you're always told that someone from back home someone um from um someone that has a similar cultural um uh, uh upbringing as as yourself etc would be good so that notion is always fed but yeah <clears throat> I, I wasn't going to do it but then there was something that happened which kind of got me a bit religious my mum was very opportunistic and I thought yeah now was the time to go for you to go and get married so off i went uh, and 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 got married so you sound like you're kind of falling into it you sound like you're probably was <laughs> probably was a little bit yeah probably was a little bit um uh so that's how i've gotten into um being arranged marriage um i mean the the marriage itself um has been a roller coaster of a, of a, of a ride um because there are then expectations within that um of me being the foreign son-in-law um and what that might bring with it uh, not necessarily to, to my immediate father and mother-in-law but to the wider community that they're from uh, and that's something that hit me harder and it wasn't something that I was expecting. Uh, but at the same time, um, there are other aspects of the culture, the the ethnic culture that uh, I've come to actually appreciate more that I might not have been exposed to had I not uh, gone through the arranged marriage process. I'm going to interject because this is something which is is very, very new to me in terms of my understanding. I think probably growing up I, I didn't really know too much about arranged marriage and probably from I would say from uh, like a western point of view or even not a western point of view probably from like a white point of view it was probably perceived as more negative than positive in the sense of arranged is maybe not what you want and it's like your parents having that decision and I think I'm kind of shamed to say this, that I learned a little bit and did some more research on it when that show came out on Netflix. I can't remember what it was called, but I know Pearl watched it, Madge, because we spoke yeah. about this at the time. 
And there wasn't there was elements of that where I was like listening to it going, actually this this sounds really nice. And there was an array of people on there who were um very traditionally religious, some were um less religious, but like kind of fell back into it, like you kind of said as in terms of um different stages in their life. But the reasons why they wanted arranged marriage actually seemed quite logical. Like I want to put my parents in charge of somebody who is um, best suited to me. They know me better than anybody. And there is also that cultural appreciation that we both share. And Madge, normally I'm the one with the stats, but Madge has brought some stats up. And these kind of blew my mind when he spoke about these at the start. Probably less so in this one, just with the context and culture, but 90% of India, the marriages are arranged. But across Globally, and this is one that blew my mind, globally, 55% of marriages are arranged. Now, this is the bit which I wanted to maybe speak on, and I, and I reckon this is a great segue for you to speak on, as in terms of you saying it, it was a little bit of a journey and a little bit of ups and downs in your marriages. The divorce rate for arranged marriages globally is below 10%. It's 6.3%. But for marriages across England, Wales, in terms of what do they call them, love marriages, 40 to 50% across the states, maybe a little bit higher. So obviously there's huge difference there between arranged and love marriages. But then is there an aspect of cultural pressure and cultural expectations that actually, even if you're unhappy, it's an arranged marriage, so you stay in it, irrelevant of happy of happiness now i don't want to obviously cause any major controversy but would you be able to speak on that in terms of your perception of that in terms of the divorce rate being you know hugely lower and and obviously compared to like over half of the world globally arranged marriage there must be something something wrong there or maybe not who's the question that sorry or i'll go with you you first as yeah, I'll go for you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of stuff that you said there, um, but I think uh, um, I can only talk on my own personal experience. Um, sure. I, I mean, just just reflecting on some statistics within our own family. Yeah. So we have um, six siblings. So my uh, parents have had six siblings, and out of the six siblings, three, no, five, five were arranged. Uh, and one was not. <clears throat> now, out of the five that were arranged, two resulted in divorce, uh, and then um, them being remarried. Uh, one of which was then a- arranged, and one of which wasn't arranged. So there's a right mixed bag of things going on. So for us as a, as a family unit, we've experienced some divorce rates, even though the fa- um, the uh, uh, the marriages were arranged. But I think what you've said about um, the divorce rates being lower, I mean, I, I, I haven't got any facts or figures to be able to support this, but I think this is just uh, my anecdotal experience that the uh, divorce rate may be slow, lower because there is probably this external family pressure mm-hmm. um, because um, within the Asian culture, if you will, um, when you get married, you're not just marrying that person, you're marrying into their family. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, there is there is that pressure that, you know, uh, when um, divorce does happen, it's not just two individuals that are divorcing, it's the entire family. 
Um, so there is probably inherently some sort of a pressure there um, uh, for, for couples to stay together. Um, from my own personal experience, um, I mean, I've been through some ups and downs. And I think the reason um, you uh, have these ups and downs in arranged marriages, whether they are, I mean, most of the arranged marriages are probably in the same um, kind of uh, social circle, um, uh, same kind of, you know, religious upbringing, same kind mm -hmm. of um, demographic that you are probably of uh, as an individual. So um, the culture clash is probably not going to be there a, a massive amount. But having said that, there is still some differences. And this is probably more so in my case, uh, having been a, a British Bengali raised mm -hmm. Um, in, in, in Sheffield, um, as opposed to my wife, who uh, is um, you know, born uh, and raised in Bangladesh, who has then migrated. So um, the clashes, I mean, they're, they're not so much clashes for me and my wife, um, but the differences, the nuances that we get uh, are in the way um, that we would probably um, c communicate and, and, and to a greater extent, the context um, uh, of, of you know what's being said so when when I do talk to my wife about certain something or uh, you know if there's a joke on the television for example um, I'd get that joke pretty much straight away because it's something that I'm aware of I know the context whereas to my wife it wouldn't make sense um, so those are the kind of um, uh, differences that, um, um, that, that exist but I, I think there is a bigger issue um uh for consideration there which is um the um generally i found from my own personal experience and i think Madge, Madge touched on this point earlier on um the culture on an individual level for someone um uh from 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 bangladesh and probably the south um south um south south asia in general is a lot more closed off so they've kind of got the barriers up they wouldn't really talk about the emotions uh they wouldn't probably talk about um you know what they're feeling um you know they wouldn't talk about those kind of uh, things <coughs> whereas uh, a british bangladesh person having gone through the um uh um upbringing that i have i've had and the different experiences etc has actually holistically made me i wouldn't say a better person but made me a person that probably knows how to talk about those kind of um emotions mm -hmm. uh in a way that would be a little bit alien to my wife so the roller coaster that i've had <laughs> roller coaster uh, coaster a ride that i've had with my wife was managing those expectations those differences yeah. between me and my wife um I mean, sometimes it got um, uh, very <coughs> difficult and sometimes it was something that was neither here nor there. But um, that often uh, yeah, makes it very, very challenging. So uh, as I just kind of want to bring that back, because um, <coughs> quite often when you're having these troubles and it gets to boiling point, you usually ring me and we have a chat about it. And I think one of the ways we, me and as have managed cultural expectation is through each other, actually. Um, the fact that even from a younger age is that uh, like I said, he has is a little bit older than me, so he's gone through all of these experiences before. So he was always a good person to kind of, and I think he has a very similar mindset to me as well. The way he thinks, quite liberal as well. 
and some of my closer friends are but they're not they don't they don't have that experience so it's quite difficult to speak to them sometimes where I found as to have that so when I was younger I used to rely on him a lot in terms of how to manage and it was just more of a venting to be honest it's more like you know what this has happened and he's like laughing about it because it happened to him a couple of years ago and it's just like uh, we just share these stories and they're a bit funny but I remember as we are going into too much detail was that the last time you you I wouldn't say it was a marriage issue but the last time you were quite uh, stressed um and and you just spot you just talked to me and and like it was it was like even little things when I would say to you that just say just tell her just just say what you feel and where like with me and Pearl I can say to her whatever I feel like and she can say whatever whatever is on her head and we'll talk about it where I think the cultural expectation for us and in his family is that there's there's still that traditional role for men and women in the, in their mm-hmm. marriage and the man has to be a certain way and the woman has to be a certain way and sometimes it becomes so rigid and i don't think it has for us i think maybe they had the, i don't know i'm guessing there's been parts where it has been rigid but there have been parts as well where he's broken that barrier and it also depends on your wife as well being receptive to it and being open to it but i think that where as sometimes gets to a boiling point um and he's and he's admitted this in the past that he, he he might he might react in a certain way because he's kept it within himself and he's just let it manifest in mm-hmm. his head that it gets to a boiling point and it ends up being what it is. But I think that's where that that cultural expectation breaks down and it's her kind of embracing the way as talks how being direct is not necessarily being rude like giving feedback is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, asking questions and sharing your emotions is not it's not a, a sign of weakness, where in the culture it is you know. Um, so it is kind of like trying to balance that and I'm sure that over over time that's that's just got a lot easier on both sides and that mm-hmm. and that going back to your original points that's that's very progressive um, when you start to think about uh, you brought back to that very first point where you talked about like blending in and things like that but that's you that's like progressing into you know what you want to kind of be and move away from certain culture or not or just advance it not it's not that it it changes it just allow that an element of emotional intelligence is accepted and like Madge said it's not like a weakness or anything like that but you can still continue to have that cultural heritage or whatever else as well um you're not kind of taken away from that I definitely think that um the, the divorce rate sort of thing as it as it pretty much nailed it on the head like it is a very much heavily uh, cultural expectation and I said this to my mum the other day like my mum and dad got divorced um, a few, a few, quite a few years ago but it was only after we've all grown up and it was only after my mum felt independent enough to look after herself so she waited until the kids were but she was unhappy in a marriage for a long time and, the, and, and within my own family I see that a lot but they end up staying together because that's what's best for the kids, not necessarily for them mm-hmm. and their marriage, but that's what's best for the kids. And they kind of make that sacrifice. I definitely think the number would have been higher if there, there wasn't that cultural expectation. And I said to my mum the other day, and this is how progressive my mum is, to be honest. If I said this a few years ago, she'd have told me to shut up. But I was saying to her the other day, she's telling me about someone else's marriage. And I was like, well, to, to be honest, if, if you guys were married in, in this day and age, like you guys got married in this day and age with all the problems that you had, I guarantee you that you guys would have been all divorced by now. I'm talking about within the family. And she was mm-hmm. like, yeah, definitely. And their their understanding is that they that people nowadays, they don't work on their marriages, which is also true as well. Like it could be, maybe that's why 
in the Western world, those divorce rates are higher. That where yeah. you know when they come to that first problem, or the, when they realize that, you know what, the way you think or the way we do things are completely different. There's no way around it. Um, people give up, and I, I and I, and I give an example. Maybe as he knows this person, he should know this person. Lives on the same road, but someone that we know got married, and then the next day they went on their honeymoon. <laughs> and then they, I shouldn't laugh, but they broke up and got divorced the next day. That, that's how quick that marriage lasted. Um, and it was just people just give up generally too quick and. Yeah. Sometimes, like arranged marriages are, like I would say, as is a very good example and successful example of an arranged marriage. But I think there's there's pros and cons for both. Like obviously, you expect people to fall in love with each other. Although all the other criteria are met, like in terms of the family, a lot of it's down to uh, expectations of like uh, ego as well. Like in terms of what that person brings into your family, they have to have a certain type of job. They have to have a certain type of background. The family itself also has uh, a background check, and it, it, there's a lot of that that goes into thinking about that. But the necess- not necessarily the chemistry is there, and they're expected to just work it out as they go along. Um, and that and that that was pretty much the same in the British culture. You talk 50, 60 years ago; it's pretty much the same, right? And and that's why. And I think the reason why that percentage, 55% of marriages in the global rate marriages, I think people need to realize that actually uh, the West, we seem to think the Western way of thinking is the dominant way of thinking, but actually it's not. Um, there's a, there's so many places in the world where their cultures are still very strong and very, very traditional as well. I think just a quick observation as well um, on uh, the, I suppose, a difference that I've um, uh, picked up on between arranged marriage and love marriage. I mean, my wife and I would have um, used to have these conversations quite early on. Uh, I don't know, maybe she fancied someone she wanted to get married to before she got married to me, I don't know. But uh, we would often have these conversations on whether arranged marriage was right or or love marriage was right. Uh, But between us, we kind of got to the conclusion that um, uh, arranged marriage probably works because it is set up to work right from the start. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, you almost have dating apps which are doing a similar kind of thing that our parents do for us. Um, I mean, I appreciate with dating app, you're, you're doing it yourself, but it is an algorithm mm-hmm. that you put in your data, your bio and everything else, and then you matched up with a person. Our parents are doing that. So you kind of expect it to work because um, uh, you're, you're, let's say, pre-setting this relationship that you're about to embark on uh, with all the information and everything else that you know about. So um, I suppose there is probably a bit more of an effort for it to work uh, as compared to a love marriage. I mean, with a love marriage, for, for, in the sense that I understand it, you're not married, your boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, you're not necessarily living together uh, in mm-hmm. the vast majority of boyfriend-girlfriend relationships uh, that, are not, that I know of. Um, but there is an element of, you know, one party up, up onto another wanting to keep the uh, um, uh, keep them impressed. So, uh, you know, you go out for your drinks, uh, the boyfriend might, you know, buy um, uh, the, the, and pay for the meal and everything else, you know, so all of that uh, kind of exists, isn't there, uh, of wanting to impress the other person. But I think the moment a love mar- um, a, a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship changes to it being a love marriage, i.e. they get hitched, it's that end point, isn't it? That end point mm-hmm. of wanting to be together is achieved. So you kind of, I wonder if you kind of 
kick your feet up, uh, 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 sorry, put your feet up and think, you know what, we've got what we wanted, which is, you know, we're, we're now Mr. and Mrs. And there's mm-hmm. nothing else for us to do. So do you do you kick back and think, you know what, I'm relaxed now. I can, I can, I can, I don't have to work on the marriage as much. I'd probably say as well, though, in a sense, is an arranged marriage, there could be similarities with that point when you get married. So you've had, like, say, a year, two years, three years or, or more for some, uh, not living together, then living together, then eventually get engaged and get married. Once you kind of then form that solid life and bond together and you get married, that in theory, all of that time before doesn't matter. It The time now starts from there. And an arranged marriage, in a sense, just starts from there, getting married. And I really like your point there about like, that going out to impress because sometimes that can cause you know uh indecision or that can cause like whether this person does or doesn't love me enough or like me enough whereas actually if it's an arranged marriage and you both kind of know what are the expectations then that kind of alleviates some of the miscommunication that might happen which also would be uh, a different point but i i i fully agree that and understand that there's way more to talk about uh, arranged marriages and, and I'd be more than happy to have you back on to talk about religion and talk about arranged marriages as well because I think there's there's so much to delve into here. Would you agree, Match? Yeah, definitely. Um, we're running out of time, so yeah, you're right. We, we, we can talk about this another time. But Let's there's get a one quick fire. One... No, no, Careful not to make me a host. <laughs> <laughs> I was worried that he wouldn't talk, but he's really loved it, hasn't he, today? Uh, no, I've got one more question that I would just kind of want you to share. Ozzy, I already know the answer because uh, I've obviously experienced it, uh, not firsthand, but obviously through observation. But you're marrying into, I think, obviously you had the Bengali culture anyway um, from your family, but you, I would say you growing up um, had that British culture, which is dominant. Uh, but then obviously with the arranged marriage, um, the Bengali culture came back into your life, and in that, in what I mean by that is, um, you started learning. I mean, the language was there, but you weren't that fluent. But then you became quite fluent in that, and even that, then obviously your wife is fluent in in uh, Bengali, but then uh, she's learning English, or her English was probably the same level as your Bengali at the start. And then now you like starting to embrace the culture in terms of like watching the movies and the TV shows and listening to the songs and stuff like that. And then also the fact that you now regularly visit Bangladesh. Um, but there is always an expectation in there. So I want you to share that. What's the expectation like when you go to Bangladesh in terms of you being British? Because I think there is something that you need to share with everyone else about. Um, if you don't say it, I'll say it. But I mean, let's see what you say. Um, what are some, some of the cultural expectations that are expected on you now coming from England? bringing your wife who has come to England, who from Bangladesh is seen as like a bit of a success story because that from for them, that's what ideally they want to move to a more progressive country. What's the expectations when you go back to Bangladesh? I think, frankly, uh, the expectation is that they you know, would go with a load of um, t- high-end uh, mobile phones. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably it, really. So, uh, I mean, back at home, you you kind of use your cheap, low-end budget phones. I do anyway. 
but yeah, um, your Joe blogs from your village would expect you to bring an I Apple iPhone 13 or something. But jokes aside, yeah, that, that, that expectation is there. It's, you know, when you do go back, um, and I don't think that necessarily is uh, anything to do with being married to a person that has been born in Bangladesh, but that's generally true of, um, you know, many South Asians that um, have these repatriation trips back at um, uh, uh, their ethnic country um, of, you know, them coming bearing gifts. Um, and I think that is uh, that is definitely uh, set upon. Um, so what I hadn't realized was, um, you know, to what extent um, uh, that might uh, um, uh, that I might have to actually go out and, and get gifts for. So I don't go out and get gifts for my immediate you know, father and mother-in-laws or brother-in-laws, but I'd have to get it for pretty much everyone in, within that village and probably the next few generations as well. So yeah, you you turn up like Santa Claus to an extent, <laughs> bearing <laughs> gifts, and they all love you for it. Um, yeah. Uh, so like, another question as well. No, we're gonna kind of finish there, but I just kind of wanted to add uh, as well, like just from my own experience, that you know, uh, because we are considered a little bit more wealthier, although we're not wealthy in this country, but as soon as we go to those countries, Bangladesh or Pakistan, you're in a completely different class system, aren't you? You go from working class in the UK to like basically one of the top dogs in those countries and the money stretches out a little bit more. And what what I saw when I, the last time I went was when I was 18 and I went with my dad, I saw a change in my dad in the way that his ego started coming out a little bit more um, just because they they looked up to him, meaning that he, he's been in the UK that, that, that long and obviously he's proud of his kids. His kids have studied at university and stuff like that. But also the the amount of people that came out of the you know uh, of like the little cracks of wanting to get to know you because they, you know that that you could pay for their meal and also coming around to the house and you have, the family hasn't seen them for five six years but then all of a sudden they come around and they start coming around and seeing you a little bit more and you know that they want a little bit of money so I think there's also that cultural expectation where they just feel like you're one of them you need to look after them as well. Right, uh, quickly then, let's move on to the next section. Um, Joe, you want to start with the first question? Yeah, perfect. So we do a round at the end called Quickfire. Um, as first question for you is, what is one book, podcast, movie, series that you'd recommend to somebody and why? Um, yeah. Uh... He doesn't read. He doesn't listen yeah. to podcasts. <laughs> And he probably no, watches so one, Bengali one, movies. No, I don't. I mean, I, I've made a bit of a change, actually. My dad, I've gone in a bit of a cycle, so I've gone to enjoying Bengali movies. But that was probably more to do with, uh, you know, trying to impress my missus uh, and, and learning her culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I think back on it. Uh, but yeah, one movie, I mean, um, there's not a, a massive amount that immediately jumps to mind, really. Um, series. I mean, series. What I can tell you is uh, one series that I really enjoyed is Breaking Bad. Um, uh, I don't yeah. know if um, uh, why would I recommend it to someone? It's really good. Um, yeah, actually, <laughs> <laughs> good. one of the things that That's I really liked about Bad, one of the things that I liked about Breaking Bad was seeing the uh, um, the character dynamics between, or I, I can't remember the name now um, of um, Jesse, Jesse, and Jesse is the younger one, isn't he? Yeah, Walter. yeah, yeah. Jesse and Walter. Um, Walter. Walter, yeah. So I liked how the character dynamics of that changed. 
particularly mm -hmm. um, with with Walter, uh, because he went from this very uh, frail sort of like um, professional of being a teacher yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. to, um, you know, being um, the top of uh, being at the top of his game. So, yeah, that, the, the way that character developed and how it developed, it, it almost kind of he found himself in in situations where uh, it was a case of uh, flight, fight yeah. um, or, um, or or freeze. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so it's not something that he asked for um, uh, in these situations, but whenever he's found himself in these situations, he he came out fighting, uh, not physically. Uh, it doesn't always have to be, but he's always come back on top. Uh, and and uh, I think what you realize is um, through each one of those scenarios, right from the very first instance, um, he was always the top dog. Um, yeah, you, you don't realize it, um, or he doesn't lend, he doesn't, he doesn't give away that trait of his. But yeah, you kind of when you think back on it, you kind of realize uh, uh, that you know this is how it was. Yeah. So I think the character development um, for someone being a very very as a timid they're supposed to be quick today. fire, mate. Bloody hell, yeah, yeah, what's going on here? Right, okay. Uh, next question. Make sure it's quicker than that one. Uh what's the most <laughs> important character trait you feel that everyone should develop? Open mind. Why? Keep an open mind. Uh, and and be critical. Because mm -hmm. I, I don't think you get to learn uh, if you if you're not open minded and you're not critical. So yeah, very quickly you, you get told something. It's not just a case of, you know, that you you've developed yourself just because you've accepted it. I think you develop yourself if you question it, not necessarily accept it, but question it. Yeah, I like that. That's a better answer. And the final question is, what's your best tip to develop productivity? Science. <laughs> Study science. A bit of science for everyone, I think, um, it would be great. Okay. Why? No, um, why? No, no. Well, I didn't think there was another quick fire round. Um, I think for me personally, I think this is going to go back to my um, um, sort of like elementary roots, I suppose, um, in terms of, um, uh, you know, the foundations of the academic background. Um, but to me, I think science is the foundation of absolute everything. Um, right from the moment of, and I, I know from a religious perspective, we're not supposed to believe in the Big Bang, but I do. Uh, you know, from that very moment, uh, science came into existence, and and pretty much everything that we do um, through to the recording technology, and, and pretty much everything is governed by science. I think. Okay. Uh, so I think you know, learning about that. Oh, that's, that's a whole other episode. That's yeah. a whole other episode. Thank you so much, as for for no, coming on. I've, I've absolutely loved it. Great to be on. Yeah. yeah, thanks, yeah. Azzy. Um, I was Imagine. a little bit worried that you were... Uh, I've done better than you thought. Eh? Exactly what I was going to say. I was I was saying to Joe, I, I said, uh, <laughs> as, I, yeah. I don't know what sort of Azzy is going to turn up, uh, if he's going to just tell me like yeah. two, three words. Well, we'll, start, we'll start saying about our friendship. Huh? Yeah? And we'll start saying about our friendship and how well you know me. That you hide everything from me. That's what that says. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks, Azman. I appreciate it. I know it's quite vulnerable. Uh, probably like the first time I've heard you talk about it like this. We've had lots of these conversations but in bits and bats but i appreciate you uh sharing it and i know that everyone uh, our listeners especially are going to learn a lot a lot from this as well well joe what did you think uh, about that episode it's quite an interesting one i think uh for you maybe you found out a little bit more about me as well and different cultures and how how it has an effect 
Yeah, huge. Uh, I mean, first of all, I just want to thank Az for coming on. I, I thought it was great. And like you said at the end, quite vulnerable to talk about it. There's a lot of, you know, if, we're, if the topic is cultural expectations and he's openly talking about those cultural expectations, that, that takes quite a lot of bravery to do so. Um, and yeah, I, uh, there were so many things that were just kind of blowing my mind. Um, and there was a few things that we discussed off air as well, which obviously won't be um, published, but I mean, definitely there's there's topics there that we're going to uh, touch on in other episodes as well, because there's so much more to talk about related to religious expectations, uh, social expectations of which I believe I would probably be able to kind of input more in terms of you know young people's social expectations and when you start to get older um but i think the the one which which i think there's loads more to talk about was like the arranged marriage and that type of thing and i think again you know you would be able to talk more on that as well from your experience and your family's experience and i think it's again i think it's something that we don't really know too much about um despite the fact 55% of the globe is currently in an arranged marriage, which uh, I'm still I'm still struggling to get over. Yeah, but I, I, love, th- I love these episodes for that reason. I think, um, as, as I said before, like, uh, when, when the thought was, when, when the idea was put to me from my mum, I obviously I was like, you know, it's, it's weird because I think culturally as well, like, in our culture there, you, you kind of, li- you have to listen to your mum and dad. You would never, ever think about disobeying um, if you were if you were gonna disobey, you would lose your whole family. That's basically the the ramifications for it, you know. That's why, mm-hmm. like, everyone would would ignore you, like your extended family, if you did something like that. So I think there's always that fear. So when it was first put to me, I was dreading it in the fact that oh man, I didn't want to do it. Uh, I was never gonna do it. And the fact that I just kept saying to my mum, like, look, if anything happens from that marriage, I'm gonna blame you because you're the one who was forcing me and choosing. Where if I get to choose. At least it's on me. Um, and that was like the initial conversation. But like I said, like the way I managed it was to get out um, and kind of live my own life. But um, I also had to find myself at that point as well because my identity then changed, didn't it? Where my identity was kind of forced on me at that point where I kind of wanted to move into a different, in different way. But I think as a, as a grown up and, <clears throat> and, and one of the benefits of traveling that like we talked about in the last episode about seeing different cultures and, arranged marriages are more common than I thought and um, mm-hmm. and I would say that seeing the world as it is and obviously there are expectations and even the stats of like 6.9% of arranged marriages end up in divorce where 40 to 50% in, in the western countries end up in divorce big difference but there is definitely a cultural reason and expectation to keep those marriages go, going strong Yeah, but like I, I, I still, personally, I still wouldn't do an arranged marriage just because I think it just goes against my ideals. But I'm definitely like more open to it in the sense that I understand it more. And I definitely, before where it was like, oh, this is a bit weird, this. Um, just because I that it's a bit weird. How can you force someone to get married? How how can you make sure someone falls in love together just by putting them together? Mm-hmm. Where now, I think maybe it's because I am married and you kind of know the, the kind of work that you have to put in your marriage. Yeah. yeah, and and also like seeing some success stories like as his marriage and some other people as yeah, well. Yeah. Like, there's like, there's there's it, they can they can work in either a love marriage or they can work in an arranged marriage, and I don't think there is anything in particular wrong with it. 
but uh, very interesting how, how I changed my mind over time. Well, I think as well, what, what is important to to change, and this is, I'm sure you didn't even mean to say this, but there's two differences between, there's difference between an arranged marriage and a forced marriage, because you saw some of those stats related to like, you know, in Southeast Asia, girls getting married below the age of 18. And there's an element of that's more forced marriage. Or again, if you're forced without actually wanting it, an arranged marriage, I'm hoping that there is at least that um, agreement that, okay, yeah, I, I, I will accept an arranged marriage. And I think that's maybe as well on another episode, that's a question to be made or asked is how much of it is forced and how much of it is, no, actually, I, I do want an arranged marriage. I don't want to go through the stress of dating living with somebody, not living with somebody for two, three years, and then eventually finding we're not compatible. Yeah. Actually, no, I want my parents to arrange it for me. And and then we both know when we're in that arranged marriage that we're both happy and this is what was best for us. You're, you're right in That's, that sense. Just, just, from a, just from a religious point of view, you probably don't know this, but from an Islamic point of view, there is it is arranged, but it's arranged yeah. in a controlled dating type of way that's how it's properly done and it's supposed to be properly done and both yeah. a man and woman have the right to say no at the end of that that dating yeah, procedure yeah, yeah. but that dating procedure is a controlled environment we can go into that another time yeah yeah um, and i you think can i know a, a little bit about this you but can yeah. have you can have as many sessions as you need in terms of like getting to know that person yeah so yeah i, I like you said but in my situation it was definitely going to be forced um just because of the way i thought um but you're right i hope I think back in the day, maybe more the generations before it was kind of expected and you just kind of went mm -hmm. with it and you just never go against the grain. I think more more people these days, uh, this generation who end up going to arranged marriage would probably choose. choose. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah. I def the people that I know anyway, uh, or my age or yeah. my, my mates who have done it, uh, definitely have chosen it. Uh, but yeah, it's very, very interesting anyway. Thanks again, Madge. Episode right. eight done. Yeah, episode eight. We've got one more next week. Going to round it up uh, and then we can enjoy our holidays, eh? Yeah, great. Thanks All again right, to Az for coming on and uh, we'll catch up soon. All right, man. Speak soon. See you later. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Right. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, go ahead and subscribe. Share it with someone if you think they might enjoy it or if they might learn something new. If you have any comments or would like to join us on an episode, email us at youchattoomuch at gmail.com. <laughs>